Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Welcome all to the 33rd episode of the Lovable Podcast. This week, we are going to talk about one of the most common problems I notice in marriages, friendships, and relationships of all kind. Here it is. Somewhere along the way, we quit being students of the people we love. When curiosity about our people stops coming naturally, as it always does, we stop being curious, rather than cultivating curiosity as an essential relationship discipline. Today, we're going to reawaken our curiosity. But first, let's make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It is called The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. It challenges the mindset most of us bring into marriage, which might be summarized as, marriage, what are you going to do for me? And replaces it with a better question. Marriage, what are you going to do to me? How are you going to grow me and transform me and make me more whole and more human? If you haven't already picked up The Marriage Manifesto, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's dr kellyflanagan.com and sign up at the top of the right sidebar. You'll get the the ebook right away and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for my mailing list. If you do, each week you'll get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. When you do that, you'll also get a free sample of Lovable. But of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available wherever books are sold in paperback, digital, and audio. So you can pick it up wherever you like to buy books. Um, and for a limited time, it's available for $2.99 in the Kindle store. That's 82% off. So if you want an electronic version of it, be sure to grab it there before the deal goes away. All right, now, on to this week's episode how to become students of the people we love once again. Let's reawaken our curiosity. Thanks as always for listening. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 32 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, Becoming Students of the People We Belong To. The most essential quality of any student is curiosity, but in so many of our most important relationships, we allow our curiosity to wither as the novelty of the relationship wears off. Today, we're gonna talk about reawakening our curiosity. Before we get into this week's topic though, let's check in. Last week we were focused on turning pro at the art of loving. We talked about how we all have at least one relationship gifting, one way of loving that arises from our true self. Whether it be commitment or listening or empathy or gratitude or apology or whatever. I'd love to hear your reflections on that exercise. This week I'm also curious about the small shifts you're noticing. What I mean is, I was talking to someone this week who told me a story in which she did something new in a relationship. You know, her old ways of feeling and acting were replaced by a new experience of the whole situation. It sort of surprised her. We talked about how these small shifts are how growth occurs. You work really hard, uh, you don't understand really how the pieces are all fitting together, and then suddenly, one day, 
something is different within you. So if you're up for sharing that, I'd also love to hear about some of the small shifts that are happening for you over the course of this year of listening, loving, and living. And while you're thinking about what you want to share right now, um, I thought I'd share with you something I practiced um, this week in regard to turning pro at an act of loving. Um, so shortly after we got off of recording the podcast last week, in three different ways, I got asked, one in an interview, a written interview, one in a verbal interview, and one just in a conversation, um, how, how, do you, how do you get it all done? How do you do your clinical work? How do you do your writing? How do you do your podcasting? How do you get it all done? And my answer was, I think one of my strengths is structure, is, um, is structure and discipline. I set aside specific times for, for doing things, and then that time becomes sacred. In the same way that I wouldn't schedule anything over one of my kids' musicals that I'm planning to go to, um, I also won't schedule anything over my writing time. I won't schedule anything over my podcasting time, and so on and so forth. So I kept thinking, that is actually, I think, one of my relationship gifts. When I'm at my best in relationship, I'm also setting aside time for my people. I'm scheduling time to go to breakfast with my son on Thursday mornings um, and with one of our kids every second Sunday of the month. And, um, and I thought, you know what, I need, to, I need to not just have that be a strength of mine. I need to turn pro at it. I need to get really good about scheduling time for my people. It occurred to me I haven't scheduled time set aside like to go out and have a date with my wife in weeks and weeks and weeks, and that needs to happen. And there's a couple friends who... I've sort of neglected and I've been thinking I want to get together with them and I need to turn pro at that. I need to schedule those times. So that was just something that occurred to me like, oh yeah, like that's a strength of yours and it can become an, a way of turning pro at being in relationships. So um, again, I'd love to hear anything that um, arose for you out of last week's discussion or any small shifts that you're noticing over the course of this year of listening, loving, and living. Heather writes, I'm realizing that by doing this work here and in my therapist's office, I'm doing better handling it than I did uh, at first. No self-destructive behaviors, moving forward instead of wallowing in the pain, handling my divorce, miss that part. So Heather, um, you've been vulnerable enough in this space to share um, that, that struggle of yours, um, and we appreciate you sharing it again. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for you sharing that it feels so small, right? You, you, we want the pain to go away. Um, we want the joy and the ecstasy of transformation. Um, but usually transformation and growth happens in these small, um, sometimes subtle and almost unnoticeable ways. And you just named one, um, that you're doing better at handling it all. It's not that the stress has gone away, that life has suddenly gotten easier, that your relationship has suddenly healed or anything like that. Um, but your way of handling it is getting healthier and you're more at peace with that, that way of handling it. And that is, a, um, that is a true sign of growth and we celebrate with you as, as, you, as you recognize that. Um, but it is small and subtle and it's sometimes it's not, it's, not, it's not what we want. It's just, uh, just exactly what we need. And Heather responds uh, exactly right. It's the small things and the baby steps forward. Um, that is still progress. Um, and we have to be, Heather, we have to be okay with the baby step nature of it, don't we? Otherwise, we quit stepping. Um, and so I'm encouraging everybody who's listening right now to say, um, you know, uh, even if it's a baby, baby step, um, to say that is something that has shifted for me. That is something that's different, and it's, a, it's something I can build upon. I can take another step from there. Um, because if we don't acknowledge those baby steps, we just quit walking.
Missy writes, I wasn't here last week, but something I've noticed is that I am a pillar of strength as compared to five years ago. I am attracting much healthier experiences in my life and it feels really good. That is a fantastic way of saying it, Missy. I'm, that, I'm sure that, that comment sums up an awful lot um, of growth and of work you've put in and of changes in your life, but I am a pillar of strength as compared to five years ago. Like that, um, and that you, what you notice is that you embody, as you embody that strength, you attract experiences and people who are okay with that strength, who can relate to that strength, rather than the sorts of people or experiences that want to dominate you, that take advantage of your submissiveness, maybe your passiveness. Um, what a beautiful way to to dis- depict that. Thank you for that. Trieste writes, sent a friend of, lo- of a long time a letter for her birthday to just express with her the gift her friendship has been to me, to thank her for the amazing way she loves. Trieste, I think you're getting at um, a way that you tried to to turn a little more pro at something. Um, And I think um, in my interactions with you, Trieste, we've talked about how one of your gifts is truth-telling, is not being afraid to say what is in a relationship. And sometimes that can be hard because sometimes the things to be said are hard. Um, But more often than not, the things to be said are really good. Um, And so to be able to just name the good things and express them and share them, um, that's a beautiful gift that you have in relationship and turning pro at it will bear much fruit for you. Julie writes, oh, you know what? Right after the exercise to affirm someone was Mother's Day and I took the opportunity to write longer notes expressing admiration and value of a few people. That is awesome. Um, Julie, the... um, that the, the engagement with that, that idea of affirming someone led to actual, um, actual change in the relationship. You, you did something different. Um, you know, you took the time, you took the time to write a longer note and, and affirm somebody. Um, and to me, that's an example. We can only affirm the worthiness of others to the extent to which we feel worthy. So you took the time to let your sense of worthiness overflow and to be shared with other people. That's beautiful. Sonali writes, the one thing that stayed with me is one of the exercises you did on not minimizing oneself. Simple things like, let me wear those big shiny earrings today. I think it is more than just looking and feeling beautiful. It impacts on how I engage with the world. Sonali, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think it is only very secondarily about looking beautiful um, and primarily about looking like yourself, (laughs) right? that the soul has ways it wants to manifest itself in, in bodily form and, uh, and that you are allowing your soul to be manifested in that form um, by allowing yourself to, to wear what you want. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And the peace that comes with that is more profound than the peace that comes with being beautiful. Um, the peace that comes with, oh, I don't need to be afraid to look like me. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. I love that. Thank you, Sonali. Brenda writes, looking for little simple blessings and quiet stillness to enjoy while my world has been reduced to only being able to handle listening to one or two family members at a time. I'm a bit of a people lover and usually let everyone interrupt my family's life. Wow. Wow. That is profound, Brenda. I mean, um, for those of you who are just maybe um, tuning into this episode for the first time or you're here in this group for the first time, um... Brenda has been a blessing to me in terms of going through a difficult accident and injury and looking for ways to redeem it um, by finding the blessings and the limitations. And what I'm hearing you say this time, Brenda, and I hope I'm getting it right, is um, 
is that you're a people person and uh, and so you invite lots of people into your world and uh, and one of the, the the hidden blessings of this event has been that your world is much more limited you can't handle too many people and so you're forced to focus on one or two of your family members at a time and that there's a blessing in that um, that to me is really beautiful um, reminds me of gosh it was almost exactly seven years ago when I uh, herniated a disc on, on a beach vacation with my family. And by the end of the week, I was finally able to get on the beach, but all I could do was lay on a beach towel in the fetal position and to, to minimize the pain. And I remember sitting there that night and watching as the sun was setting and watching my kids play and realizing how much of their lives I was, and this sounds a little bit, bit uh, counterintuitive, but how much of their lives I was missing because I was constantly doing something with them instead of simply watching them. Um, and that the gratitude for them grew and that in a way uh, there's a gift of, of dad watching you um, that they were missing out on the dad just sort of watching and delighting in them and uh, and that that was the hidden blessing in that injury for me I started to learn that just sitting back and watching I don't always need to be active don't always need to be doing something That that was the gift of it for me so thank you for sharing that redemptive impulse of yours Brenda um, it's good, it's good, it blesses me to be reminded of my, my own experience. Julie writes, my other small win this week was giving myself permission to sleep in and get more rest a couple of times, which helped profoundly, but it's a lesson I have to keep learning, face palm. Um, Julie, encouragement, I don't know any lesson that can only be learned once. <laughs> it needs, they, all of these need to be learned over and over and over again. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you had a week where you got to learn that lesson and, and experience the fruit of it. And um, I remember just last week you saying that, that you needed to know that it was okay to pause and move forward more restored rather than, than wiped out. And, uh, and I'm, gl I'm glad that you paid attention to that, that wisdom of yours and followed through on it. Julie writes, the resting is still a work in progress. I'm feeling and putting a lot of pressure on myself the last few weeks. Um, yeah, Julie, I, I just hope that you give yourself the grace for that to be a work in progress. Um, I found myself saying something this week, which I think, I think is important for me to know. Maybe it's important to say here, which is it's important not to base our actions on feeling worthy, but to base our actions on knowing we are worthy because there will be times when we don't feel particularly worthy. We feel like our worth is dependent upon doing this thing or achieving that thing. Um, and it's important at those times to say, but I'm worthy of rest, for instance, Julie. And so I'm going to act as if I'm worthy, even though maybe I feel like my worth is dependent upon all these other things. I'm just going to give myself the space to rest, even though I'm putting lots of pressure on myself to do other things. So um, I'm really impressed um, with your commitment to honoring your worthiness by caring for yourself in that way. Casey writes, I've not been able to listen live before, but I do listen to your podcast every week. I'm a therapist and listening to the last podcast reminded me that the small things matter in therapy too. It doesn't always have to be big to matter. Boy, that is so true. Um, and thanks for joining us, Casey. Um, great to have another therapist in this space. Um, and thanks for listening to the podcast and now, now sort of stepping in. Um, I don't know if you have read the book, Casey. Um, Irvin Yalom, Y-A-L-O-M, wrote a book called Every Day Gets a Little Closer. Um, and it's uh, he made a deal with a client that he would journal about their sessions and she would journal about her sessions and they would sort of juxtapose them as chapters within a book. Um, 
And the fascinating thing, I mean, the, one of the consistent themes of the book is that his reflections, he always focuses on some sort of thought out intervention that he did for the day and thinking it was helpful. And uh, in her journal entries, she rarely notices that. And instead, she notices the small gestures, um, the very human uh, ways of seeing her and connecting and being vulnerable on his part as the therapist. So, um, so yes, in therapy and in life, the small things make a difference. And the differences that are made are often small. Um, and uh, we need to be faithful to that process and, and not want to rush into um, big change in big moments. It just rarely happens. Missy writes, you said something about structure helps you stay committed to doing all you do. I've gotten into the routine of living in my flow, but I find I don't get to some of the things that I feel called to do. I'm processing that as structure can lead to some great discipline. I may now be able to embrace it. Thank you for that gift. Um, yeah, you, you bet, Missy. I'm glad it, I'm glad it was helpful to you. Um, to be honest, I, I, my, my guess is if we could sort of combine your gift for staying in the flow, being spontaneous and responsive to life, and my gift for discipline, we'd, we'd uh, discover that we have a, a whole balanced human being. Because <laughs> I can also, I mean, our gifts can also become this out of balance compulsion as well, right? And so, um, you know, when things do impinge upon my structured time, I can get resentful, for instance. And I talked about that in recent weeks. So, um, so yeah, I'm uh, maybe adding adding a little bit of that structure and discipline to your your way of being in the flow. And I can certainly borrow some of your your gift of being in the flow myself. So, um, thanks for that too. Marielle asks, how long would you say you should try to do a small thing to show appreciation for the other person? And how effective do you think this is when done every day or often? Do you think there is a selfish side to this? Um, that is a fantastic question, Marielle. I think there are, I think you're getting at why there are two answers to it. Um, so when we show someone um, a small gesture of appreciation, usually usually both our true self and our false self are a part of that. The true self is showing that gesture of appreciation because that's what the true self does. Um, it expresses gratitude. Um, it delights in the other. Um, it wants the other to, to know it is worthy. Um, whereas the false self is always trying to get something out of it. The job of the false self, as we sort of created it within us, was to go out and do things to earn us um, love and belonging and security. Right, so sometimes, or oftentimes, though that's also a motivation for doing small things to show appreciation. Is you think you're going to get something back, some appreciation from that person, some reassurance that they love you, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think our task is to increasingly do these acts of love um, more and more out of our true self, and less and less out of our false self, while acknowledging that there's always probably a little bit there of both, um, and. Uh, and working in that direction. So I hope that makes sense and is helpful. Thanks as always, uh, everybody, uh, for really another great discussion. Um, I think both of these pieces about ways that we're turning pro at loving and, and ways we're noticing small shifts in our lives, I think that both of those discussions are gonna be helpful for folks. So really appreciate that. Um, let's continue now um, by unpacking yet another way we can deepen and renew our belonging with our people. So if you remember these er early weeks of this months of of uh, loving, which is about which are about cultivating belonging, they were really about sort of clarifying who we belong to, sort of pruning down our circles of belonging. And now, for the last few weeks, we've been in this process of 
focusing on deepening our places of belonging. So we're going to continue that today. It's week 32 of the year of listening, loving, and living, and it's called Becoming Students of the People We Belong To. I don't know how I learned anything in my first semester of graduate school. The program was stellar and my professors were excellent, but I met my wife that autumn and I quickly became a student of her first and psychology second. I fell in love and it made every red turning leaf radiant with the slanting sun and every dry brown leaf crackle underfoot like a ballad. Our classes were small and usually held at a round table with students facing each other. I would spend hours of class time sneaking glances at her, noticing the way her jaw flexed when she was thinking, and the constellation of freckles on her cheek. I listened to her laugh and I felt like I found a home inside of it. I became a student of her before all other things. The years have piled up though. Many autumns have come and gone. Time numbs and life distracts, doesn't it? Kids in work and bills to pay and errands to run and television to watch and pride and lingering hurt and unfinished fights. We trade in attentive gazes for critical comments. We trade an available ear for a quick fix. We trade an open mind for close-ended questions. As another autumn approaches, I have to wonder, have I ceased to be a student of my wife? Most relationships don't need an addition of ideas. They need a subtraction of distractions. Instead of learning new things to do, we must rediscover how to simply be. Because when you strip away all the fixing and doing and perfecting, you are left with only your people and their messiness and their beauty and your fragile ability to attend to them. Most people don't need to become students of relationships in general. They need to become students of each other again. They need to learn to hold their people in awareness without fixing or changing or criticizing or commenting. They need to simply behold the people they love, all the quiet beauty, the lovely vulnerability, the fears and the tears, the hurt and the frustration, and all the desperate attempts to feel worthy. Most people don't need to learn the science of communication, they need to learn the art of attention. Because in the end, good communication is far less about implementing a new skill and far more about the willingness to be still. It's the art of gazing upon the people we love and allowing them to teach us about who they are. 14 years after I met my wife, we flew to Hawaii for a psychology conference, a nine hour flight through the night. As we cruised over the Pacific and my wife slept like she was staying in a five-star hotel, I slowly ran out of things to keep me occupied. Eventually, I put away all of my screens and distractions and I turned to look at her. Her freckles constellated like the stars we were flying through, her shoulders rising and falling with each breath. I just watched, and I felt like a student again. John Kabat-Zinn writes, quote, Anything and everything can become our teacher of the moment, reminding us of the possibility of being fully present. The gentle caress of air on our skin, the play of light, the look on someone's face, a passing contraction in the body, a fleeting thought in the mind, anything, everything, if it is met in awareness. He's talking about mindfulness and meditation, the act of attending to one thing in such a way that our awareness of the thing expands and we become fully anchored in the present moment and fully available to the object of our attention. What if we met our people in awareness again? What if, once again, we became students of the ones we love? What if our people, our friends and lovers and companions and partners and spouses and children and family members, became the meditation of our lives? Relationships can grow stale and stuck. Perhaps just, that's just the way life goes and the way love ages. But maybe, just maybe, we're all dancing on the precipice of a deep, enduring love and we simply don't know how to fall back into the chasm. Maybe we fall into love again by learning how to pay attention again by giving up all of our judgment and assessment and critique and meeting our people in the field of awareness instead of upon the field of battle. 
I think we'll find ourselves in love again when we choose to be in school again, when we choose to become students of the people we love, fully attentive, ready to learn their every nuance, and cherishing who they are rather than what we would make them into. When it comes to love, the fixing is in this kind of joining, people made students once again. So that is our reading for this week, and as I read it, um, I'm aware that the idea is simple, um, but simple doesn't mean easy. <laughs> and it might be helpful to spend some time talking about what makes it difficult to attend to the people we love, what around us and within us gets in the way of cultivating this kind of curiosity. Um, because um, holding attention on something, especially something that isn't always pleasant, um, is sometimes hard and frustrating, is one of the more difficult things to do, um, one of the more difficult skills to develop. So what gets in the way of that for us? What gets in the way of being able to attend to the people that we care about? What are the distractions around us and the, the barriers within us? Anne writes, I'm so aware of the need to be present currently. I made be present one of my passwords. <laughs> well, Anne, don't tell us which account that's a password to, first of all. I remember last year on my vacation, uh, summer vacation with the kids, my mantra, my sort of meditation was don't miss this. Um, that was sort of the, the thing that kept me focused and attentive, don't miss this. Um, you know, if we're with our people, we can say this moment with my people, don't miss this. We're going to become more attentive and more a student of the people that we love. Marielle asks, how do you constantly choose to be present and how do you choose a partner every day when things get frustrating? Um, I would say, uh, Marielle, that um, presence is... That mind, mindfulness that we're not present is the key to choosing to be present, right? So you're not always going to be present. That your mind is going to wander, you're going to get distracted, you're going to get consumed with your worthiness projects and the obligations of life. And then you're going to become mindful of that and go, oh, wait, I'm not present. I choose to be present once again. Um, and the word meditate can feel sort of mysterious for some people. And uh, really, the way I define meditation is really simple. Meditation is choosing one thing to be present to and then drawing your mind back to that one thing over and over again when it gets distracted. Um, so we can meditate on our people, essentially, um, by making them the focus of our meditation. And when we notice that our mind is wandering, when we're supposed to be with them and attending, we bring, bring it back over and over. And you, you train your mind over and over to come back and be present and curious with the people that you care about. Lifelong process, not something that happens overnight. Um, and yes, it is harder when things are frustrating with a partner. Um, it's easier to attend to things that are pleasurable. Um, it is harder to attend to things that are, are less pleasurable, but um, that is a part of meditation too, is noticing whatever is unpleasant in the moment and uh, being present to that as well. So um, that ability will help us uh, attend to our people even more. Julie uh, responds, what gets in the way? Certainty. All the things we think we already know and conclusions we've already reached. Julie, I think that is so profound and it is such a pervasive um, pitfall in relationships that I don't think this discussion would have been helpful or complete without it. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that comment. Um, yes, curiosity says, I don't know, I want to learn. Certainty says, um, there's nothing new under the sun. I have figured you out a long time ago. And so uh, everything that you have to say, I can already predict and I, I, um, 
nothing's going to surprise me. Curiosity is putting yourself in the position of being willing to be surprised. Um, in that position truly of a student um, who is willing to learn. Um, and so one of the things that we can begin to do to cultivate curiosity again is we could sit down. I don't know if, I can't remember exactly what the practice becomes this week, but certainly sitting down and saying, what are all these things I'm certain of about my, my people or this person in particular? Um, and how can I put that thing on the shelf and decide to, to let them surprise me again? Um, or check my curiosity, check my certainties with them. Um, that would be a vulnerable conversation, but I'm so grateful for that, um, that identification, Julie, thank you. Trias writes, ouch, direct hit. Mm. I'm struggling to hold curiosity and attention towards my spouse as it feels as if he is uninterested or curious about me. I feel as if he, believe, he believes he knows me better than I know myself. At each opportunity I try to give for him, to demonstrate interest, I wind up feeling his condescending disapproval and dismissal. I feel I am worthy of his listening interest, resentful he keeps squashing my need. First of all, Trieste, I mean, just your willingness, again, to self-examine. Um, I think we talked about that last week, that how fundamental that is to, to true belonging, is your willingness to self-examine. Um, and your willingness to, to say, well, he appears to be not curious in me. I'm certain about that. Um, so now that's become my certainty and is starting to reduce my curiosity. Well, the irony is that you can't do anything about what's going on in his inner world. You can't, you can't make him curious. You can't reduce his certainty or any of that. But what you can control is your own, um, your own stance. Um, and to recognize that you want to grow into curiosity again um, and leave some of the certainty behind um, and see sort of how that begins to shake up the relationship. And if it doesn't, the, you know, then you have other things to, to, to ask and questions to answer. But um, but for now, you can kind of take responsibility for at least modeling curiosity out of a sense of sincerity. Brenda writes, the reading, subtraction of distractions. I couldn't do any bossing or perfecting, and that made it possible to be an observer, a student, not teacher, and pay attention to my family with a new light. That's it, Brenda. Um, that This reading is sort of, ironically, speaking back into the, the, the blessing of of your situation and explaining why it might be happening because um, a lot of the distractions have been eliminated and uh, and you're able to just attend to them um, and that is yeah an unexpected blessing out of all of this doesn't reduce the pain and the struggle and some of the disappointment and hurt um, but it does remind us that it's not all pain and struggle and disappointment and hurt yeah and as i go on vacation with my family coming up here this week um, I'm more aware than ever that I have enough distractions within me um, to keep me from being a very good student of them, from, 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 from allowing me to be able to sit back and say, don't miss a thing and paying attention. But the mounting distractions outside of us, <laughs> uh, it is unprecedented. And I'm aware of how much I'm going to need to limit those over the course of the next week. If I have any hope of of being the student of my people that I want to be, I am really going to have to limit the distractions around me. Um, do not disturb on the phone. Turn off push notifications. <laughs> um, control my impulse to check messages. Uh, you know, probably not look at the news for a week. Definitely not check email. I mean, the amount of stuff coming at us that we're told we have to be attending to if we want to be up to date 
we really need to be careful of that. And we, we dealt with that back in the months of worthiness, needing to create spaces of stillness where we could listen. Um, and in a way, we're sort of circling back to that and saying we need to create places of stillness where we can listen to our people <laughs> this time around. Missy writes, approaching life with sincere curiosity allows us to see the spirit present in our world. It allows us to feel our evolution within. As so well said, because here's the thing, we're wired to, without intention, just with reaction, we're wired to notice the things that are going wrong around us and within us. Um, and if we just allow ourselves that sort of reactive attention, um, we can begin to get the idea that what's going on, the spirit in the world, that there's spirit missing in the world, that there's only chaos going on within us. Um, but with careful attention and curiosity, um, we begin to notice the things we don't naturally notice, um, but the things that are there and that are powerful and pervasive and are good. Um, and so, Missy, that is a reminder that we, we need to intentionally practice mindfulness and attention um, so that we can notice everything else that's going on the rest of the story. Heather writes, my stillness currently is a distraction. I have to be busy and only truly still when at the therapist's office. I don't have the mental strength right now to be okay with my stillness. Um, and Heather, I want to affirm that I think that that's totally okay. Um, that because you do have a space set aside where you can be still um, and be still with someone, um, I think it, it makes sense to say I feel limited in my ability to do that everywhere else right now. Um, if there was no space in your life where you're able to do that, not even an hour a week, I'd be probably concerned and challenging you. But I think you're acknowledging your limitations right now and still still working hard, and I just admire you for that. Brenda writes, Interesting that I couldn't do these weekly practices at all the last month, and yet I've gotten to live them out anyways. That's a God thing. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, that life put you in a situation where you were forced to practice um, the best parts of being human um, and didn't need to be intentional about it. That is, is pretty remarkable, Brenda. Thank you for framing it that way. Marielle asks, how do you try to be present with yourself, give grace and be a student of ourselves without alienating others? Um, Marielle, there's a two-part answer to that question. Um, and thanks, um, thanks for asking it. The first part answer is you don't. Um, when you make a habit of being present to yourself, giving grace to yourself and becoming a student of yourself, some of the people that you think you belong to will be alienated by that. And that's part of this process of beginning to whittle down our circle of belonging. Who are the people who will let me um, care for myself as well? Who, will, who are the people who will let me be me, who will celebrate the fact that I'm learning how to give grace to myself? Um, so that's the first answer. Um, so they won't. And then the second piece of that answer is the people who remain, who do celebrate that, those are the people you belong to. Um, and this is a part of why cultivating our sense of worthiness, reconnecting with it, um, is such an essential part of finding belonging because embracing our worthiness, the process that in, is involved in that actually is part of the process of beginning to discern who and who we do not belong to. So it's such a fantastic question. Thank you. Okay, thanks everybody again for another really helpful discussion. Um, we're going to move it forward a little bit more. We've talked about some of the reasons that this is hard to do, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about how to actually um, become a student of the people we belong to. Here's the week 32 practice. In recent weeks, we've been focusing on cultivating belonging by ritualizing our togetherness, tapping into our naturally existing empathy, accepting affirmations, asking for help, engaging in small acts of love, 
and making a habit of the ways we love best. This week, we are going to emphasize the value of curiosity as we seek to become students of the people we love. Generally, communication isn't terribly complicated. There are a few basic rules. One speaker and one listener at all times. The speaker's job is to avoid blame and to focus on expressing his or her own experience. The listener's job is to listen closely and to paraphrase what was said in order to confirm it was heard accurately. And partners should share the floor equally over the course of a conversation. In other words, communication is relatively simple. However, the words we communicate are not. Words matter, but they mean something different to each of us. So we have to slow down our communication, get still and attentive, and become actively curious about what certain words mean to the people we love. For instance, if you tell me you're sad, I can be a good listener by reflecting back to you that you are feeling sad, but that accomplishes very little, because I know what sad means to me, but I don't know what sad means to you. To me, sad means lonely and disconnected from the people around me. It means I work harder and bottle up my feelings. To you, sad might mean you are in despair about your future, can't get out of bed, and you're eating chocolate like it could save your life. If we aren't curious about what certain keywords mean to certain key people in our life, we can easily end up having two entirely different conversations while assuming we're talking about the same thing. Without curiosity, words can become a wedge, slowly imperceptibly driven between us. This week, take at least one opportunity to ask someone you care about what they mean by a specific word they are using. Explain to them. So when I hear you say X, this is what it means to me, yada yada, but I wonder what it means to you. You will be amazed at what you learn about people when you decide to slow down and to become a student of them once again by becoming a student of the words they are using. So I think the value of this exercise, it hit home for me. This was years ago. Um, I was doing uh, couples therapy with a couple and they were having this huge fight about putting a TV in the living room. Um, and over the course of the fight, something started to dawn on me and I said, Oh, hold on, hold on. Um, you know, wife, can you, can living, living room, can you tell me what you mean by living room? And she said, you know, the living room, just how do I describe it? I, well, could you tell me like what room you mean in the house and where it's at and where you would put the TV? And she described it. And the husband said, that's not the living room. That's the family room. <laughs> and she said, no, that they, it had occurred to me as I was listening to them that they were talking about different rooms um, with the same label. And uh, that once they uh, clarified what the living room was, they didn't even need to come up with a solution because it was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. We can put a TV in that room. I don't care. <laughs> um, and so the words that people use are really important and they can become a doorway into greater connection and closeness and intimacy and vulnerability. Um, and so this idea of becoming curious and attentive can be can feel sort of abstract and amorphous so with this week's practice i'm suggesting boiling it down to a very specific practice which is asking hey when you say that what do you mean by that this is what i think but i don't know what you think um, and initiating a conversation in that way so i'm curious to hear your thoughts julie writes bah kelly this is this one has my name on it define your terms i am delighted i'm glad to hear that julie um define your terms is another good way to put it um what do you mean by that john writes sounds like these ideas are appreciated for spouses as well as children can be difficult with children because my former wife has different parenting style um 
what I would say is that the the discipline of clarifying clarifying the meanings that, that of one's words of your own words of the other's words it can only improve co-parenting um, and it can only improve your relationship with your kids um, now they don't have to you can't force them to engage in that practice you can only invite them into that practice and I think that's an important thing to add to this week's um, discussion is that always belonging is an invitation um, it is um, it's not a requirement so when we when we do this thing I hear you saying this this is what it means to me what does it mean to you we could get a blank stare um, and all we can do is invite we can't force so um, particularly when it comes to goodness co-parenting with a um, with a divorced spouse you can invite that sort of clarity but you can't you can't force it Sonali writes, I am exploring intimacy these days, intimacy with ourselves and others. I think it somewhere relates to attention and curiosity, also honesty, vulnerability, and fear. I realize that I don't go, do eye contact well. I'm trying to carry the therapist space with me to other places, if that makes sense, so that I can feel able to speak my inner world with others too. Sonali, that makes more, more than sense. Um, that is exactly how therapeutic growth is supposed to work, is that you create this space that is relatively healthy compared to our other spaces in the world. And within that safe, healthy space, you get to practice healthy relating um, and until it becomes a habit. And then, and no therapy is successful until those healthy habits start to translate out into the world. Um, and that's those exciting growth moments when someone comes back and says, um, you're never going to believe it. He did this thing he always does, and I didn't do the thing I always do. I responded the way I would have responded in here. <laughs> and it's a moment of celebration. So absolutely, continue to explore intimacy and translate the ways that you're improving at that in therapy. Um, translate those into the real world and, uh, and build your belonging with them. Stephanie writes, thank you, Kelly. That's helpful, referring to the exercise. I have a tendency to want to be right, so I tend to put the words I want to hear into the mouths of others, and it kills me when they say, no, that's not what I mean or was trying to say. It's humbling. Like you said, I'm trying to ask more about what um, they feel. It gives me insight to who they are, and really, that's what I want to know um, to create intimacy. These nuggets of truth from their heart, but boy, it takes me a long time to get there. I have to break down my ego walls to arrive in a place where I can really hear my loved ones. I love the way that you concluded that, Stephanie, because you said something in the middle of your comment. Um, two things back to back that are a little counterintuitive, but actually go together. Um, you said, I have a tendency to want to be right, so I tend to put words um, I want to hear into the mouths of others. And you said, it kills me when they say, no, that's not what I mean. It's humbling. And I think that phrase, it kills me and it's humbling, do go together because of how you wrapped up your comment, um, letting go of your ego. That what is being killed a little more, or what is being dissolved a little more or let go of, is your ego. Your ego that says... I know how this, I know, I know the reality of the situation and I'm going to teach everybody what is the truth about this. When you let go of that, it feels like a little death. There is a self that is dying. It is your false self. Um, and what replaces it is a sense of humility that arises from your true self. Um, and you'll always relate better from that place, but it does require that painful ego death. Um, your people are lucky to have you um, because you sound like you are willing to go through that ego death. Um, and it's not easy for you, but it will promote belonging in your relationships. Thank you for that.
Brenda writes, inviting to share what they mean has helped me not run over my family quite as much. Thanks for teaching me one line that promotes better relationships. You bet. Yeah. And being willing to enter into that place of, of inviting to share rather than forcing to share, this is another ego death. Um, the, the, the person who withdraws in a relationship emotionally and so on is is always in a position of power. There's nothing you can do to get them to re-engage if they don't want to. And so the attempt is to try to, to get the power back. The ego wants to be in charge again by forcing engagement, by forcing intimacy. Um, and so we have to let go of that part of our ego um, and make our attempts at um, connection arise from our true self, which is always simply about inviting and then allowing you the freedom to, to receive that invitation or reject it. Um, but the ego, ego isn't very good at that. Ego wants to stuff that invitation down your throat and make you, make you respond. So, um, Brenda, thanks for that distinction. Okay, uh, everyone, thanks for just a really beautiful, helpful conversation. Let's wrap up here for tonight, today. Um, next week, we're going to focus on how our secrets make our relationships sick and how we can cultivate deeper belonging amongst our closest people by eliminating some of the smallest secrets we keep. We're not going to do anything too crazy here. <laughs> Don't need to be afraid. We're going to talk about dabbling and eliminating some of the smallest, most harmless secrets we keep and getting good at that. It'll be week 32 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled The Healing is in the Emptying. Until then, remember, you are lovable and curiosity is one of the best ways to embody your love. Thanks again for joining us on The Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Cause you-